Welcome to the first weekend of December and the beginning of our Christmas series. I hope you had a great time of celebration over the Thanksgiving weekend and survived the mayhem of Black Friday and what I like to call Zero Dark Thursday, that late night shopping on Thanksgiving Day. But apparently that that now all starts at 6 p.m., so that term doesn't work. But I'm glad you're here, and if you're a guest with us, especially glad. We're starting a journey that will allow us to more fully and more deeply celebrate Christmas So if you're new, go ahead and kick the tires, get to know us. I'm going to tell you now, we're not perfect, but we know the one who is, Jesus, and we love him, and I'm glad you're here. And I want to get started today by asking all of us a question, so I want to welcome our Bettendorf family tuning in as well as those online. The question is, when was the last time you beheld something? And it's actually your first fill-in if you're tracking along with your note guide. When was the last time you beheld something? Maybe it was the warmth or expectancy of a sunrise. Maybe the face of a newborn child. The gaze of a proud parent. Or the the joy in the eyes of a loved one. When was the last time you beheld something? There's a few moments in my life that are marked by that beholding moment. One was when each of the days that I held my two boys on the days of their birth. When, when their head was in my hand, their body was laid across my forearm, and I gazed into their face and welcomed them into the world. Behold. Another moment was the time that I held my mother's hand for the last time in her battle with cancer. I still remember our fingers interlocked in the curves of her fingers and mine, us acknowledging the love that we had for one another. Because there was beauty in that brokenness. Behold, there's still another moment, the day where I got to see my bride on our wedding day. Here's a picture of us 24 years ago this month. Go ahead and get it out of your system. (laughs) That's me. Time changes us, people. Time changes us. But I still remember my favorite moment of the wedding ceremony was after we had done the unity candle, we came back around together and we stood facing one another and Ave Maria was playing and she was radiant. She was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was like nobody else was in the room. It was just the two of us. And I've forgotten a lot of things over the years, but I have not forgotten that moment. Because 
when we behold something, it changes us. It changes us. Behold. It's more than just to look or to see. Behold. It does mean look and see, but behold has more meaning than just that. In fact, one of the more famous moments of Scripture in Luke 2 is when the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, Behold. They declared the birth of Jesus. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 10. This is not in your note, God. It's up here, though. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is a great moment. They declare behold, which which can mean to look and see. But it, it means more than that, especially as it's used here. When we define the word behold, it does mean to look upon and to see. But there's also the other definition first, to fix the eyes upon, to see with attention, to observe with care. That is more than a visual thing, it's a cognitive thing. It's where we engage our concentration, our, our consideration is involved. We contemplate. We, when we gaze upon and we regard and we watch and we discern, that's the concept and reality of beholding. When we're enraptured by beauty, when, when, our, when we're captured in our attention, our focus is fixed upon that particular thing. It's not just looking. To behold is to is to join, to to take part, to be active participants. It's not passive. Now, you may think that the distinction is not that big of a deal, but I've got to tell you, we are losing our ability. We are losing our ability to behold things. When it comes to our attention span, we, as humans, are increasingly losing compared to the rest of creation. In, In one of the most recent studies about attention span, it identified that human beings, listen, you listen with me, human beings have an attention span of eight seconds. Eight seconds! Let me say that's not too bad, Sean. I mean, we, we tried to ride bulls for eight seconds, and that's really hard. <laughs> Riding bulls and having an attention focus is, is not the same thing, and it, it's, it's significant. Think about it this way. It means that after eight seconds, we struggle to focus. After eight seconds, we get distracted. After eight seconds, we chase distraction. It's kind of like the Disney Pixar character Doug the dog in the movie Up. You familiar with him? He, he had a, a struggle around distraction. He had a short attention span. And I want to take 20 seconds to show you his struggle. Now, I said it's 20 seconds. So hang with me, all right? You ready? Ready, set, go. Speak. Hi there. <gasps> Did that dog just say hi there? Oh, yes. Brad. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. <laughs> My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel. Classic scene. Doug struggles with distraction. His issue is squirrels. He 
He has a short attention span. But listen, Doug made it 11 seconds. That's three more, three more than our number. Yeah, see that, huh? Gotta focus, people. That's three more than our number. Eight seconds for human beings. Now, again, you may think, look, Sean, that's not that big of a deal because, quite, quite honestly, all dogs are awesome. Well, yeah, sure they are. But you got to consider this. In a different study in 2002, it was determined that humans had a te- an attention span of 12 seconds. From 2002 to now, we've moved to eight seconds. We're going the wrong way. Eight seconds. To add on top of it, add insult to injury, it's been determined that goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. Nine seconds, people. It's official, church. We now have attention spans shorter than a goldfish. Shorter than a goldfish. (sighs) What's the attention span of humans? Oh, come on. Hold on a second. I think I already lost some of you. Hang with me. What's the attention span of humans? Eight seconds. So that means this fish has a longer attention span than you and I. The goldfish, a longer, one second longer than you and I. Look, the only good thing I can say about that is that we're still beating the fruit fly, which still has the record for the shortest attention span. <laughs> now, we're talking about attention span and not memory. Right? Memory's a different thing. Memory's a different conversation. We're talking about attention span, the amount of time, concentrated time, that we spend on a task without becoming distracted. And most educators and psychologists say that focused attention is crucial for accomplishing goals, and they're right. And we have distractions. We get distracted. Doug got distracted by squirrels. His issue was squirrels. To think of a squirrel, hear a squirrel, smell a squirrel, Doug's gone. He's gone. Anything related to a squirrel, we would lose Doug. His attention would be gone. Which is kind of interesting because the attention span attributed to a squirrel is one second around normal things. But when it comes to an acorn or a nut, that one second attention span goes to four minutes. That's right, you heard me. One second to four minutes when we're talking about an acorn or nuts. Now, to me, that explains this guy's issue (laughs) and all the trouble he has had in the Ice Age movies. This is Scrat, right? Explains it. Look, we all have our issues and we all get distracted. It may not be squirrels and it may not be nuts. But for us, it's our phone, it's social media, it's our own egos, our own insecurities. We can end up being like this guy who misses an opportunity for a close encounter with a whale because he's on his phone. We get distracted. We have short attention spans. But our master... Not Doug's master. Our master created us to behold him for more than eight seconds. But busyness can cause us to lose sight of significance, to lose understanding. In fact, there's lots of reasons we get distracted. But we really just need to know what to do with it. Because busyness often leads to barrenness. 
Busyness often leads to barrenness. It leads to barrenness. Barrenness in life. Barrenness can rob us of meaning, rob us of significance and understanding. The the substance of life, the depth of life. Socrates was attributed to say, beware the barrenness of a busy life. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. He was right. It's not bad counsel because busyness often leads to barrenness, which is really timely truth because Christmas, the Christmas season comes with a flurry of activities, shopping and parties and family drama and an overwhelming to-do lists. Our schedules and expectations can, can make the season fly by so quickly that the depth of Christmas somehow passes us by as well. And, and we all know, despite how we live, that there is a difference between being busy and being productive. They don't always mean the same thing. Yet many people are addicted to being busy. And we don't behold much anymore. We've lost the art of beholding. So in a world where we can get lost in the busyness of what needs done, rather than the wonder of him who has come, We're taking time to pause and behold as a church. Taking time to behold the joy and mystery and hope that is found because heaven came to earth. And everything changed through the birth of a baby born in a manger. A baby who was and is and is to come. Who lived outside of time. See, being born is cool, But it's not exceptional. We've all done it. Being born in a stable, that's difficult, different, but not a showstopper. Those aren't the things that make the birth of Jesus something to behold. But God becoming man, a virgin birth, being born to die, Conquering sin and death, rescuing the sons and daughters of mankind, that's something to behold. Behold. See, that word does mean to look and to see. But it's more than that. It's not just visual. It's cognitive. It, in, it involves our desire, our volition, When we behold something, when we behold God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is not just a one-way expression. It's not just looking. When we embrace him, he embraces us. As we give him attention, he gives us significance. When we're enraptured by his beauty, There is affection and appreciation. There is greatness in the reality of beholding. It's not just a one-way dynamic. There is a simultaneous action, not only for the one being beheld, but the one who is beholding. It is not passive. It's active participation. And it changes us. Behold. You know, interestingly... Many of the modern translations of the Bible have leaned away from using the word behold. And it's okay, it's not an issue of accuracy, it's culture and context. We used to be good at this. We're not anymore. The King James Version of the Bible has more than 1,300 uses of the word behold. 
The New King James Version of the Bible has less than 600. The Amplified Version of the Bible has just over 1,000, but the NIV Version of the Bible only has six. Now again, it's okay. It's not an issue of accuracy. It's an issue of fullness. It's an issue of the, the texture of the text, our understanding of the text. And when we behold someone or something, it speaks to that something or someone and simultaneously speaks and describes the one who is beholding. It is simultaneous action to behold. It is not passive, it is active. It is more than visual, it is cognitive. And to behold something changes us. And we need to remember and relearn and reacquire the ability to behold. To behold him. Because when we behold God, his essence and his ways, when we behold God, we then are positioned to be able in turn to behold our own lives in light of our understanding of him. Behold. And as a result, we can align our lives more and more with the one whom we are beholding. But that means we have a choice to behold or not to behold. And to choose to behold carries with it a responsibility, an element of responsibility on our part to keep our eyes and ears open, to be able to see and hear clearly and accurately what he's saying so that we can make decisions that honor him. Using the word behold may feel a bit old school, even archaic. It's partly why we use it less and less. But when we understand the importance of the word and what it entails in Scripture, we realize that, that it always points to something that is special and important that we need to see in that passage. And we need to behold. We need to behold the baby so we can behold the king. Behold. Consider the words of Daniel in chapter 2. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. These are great words about the God we are to behold. The God we're called to behold. And it connects us back to Christmas because Christmas points to the moment light entered darkness. Christmas points to the moment light entered darkness. When light entered what? Darkness. Darkness. Look, when the angels came, they told of the birth of Jesus. But they were inviting the shepherds not to just have a look. They were inviting the shepherds to behold. And they proclaimed the light coming into darkness while at the same time, at the same time literally bringing light upon that Bethlehem countryside. In a way, I love the way that the prophet Isaiah lays this out in Isaiah 9. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is the reality of Christmas. Behold, a people walking in spiritual darkness have seen a great light. 
This is huge for us today. But it had even greater significance for those on that first Christmas. Because in the journey of relationship with God, prior to that first Christmas, God had been silent for 400 years. If you were to look at your Bible and look between Malachi and Matthew, Old Testament and New Testament, that represents a 400-year gap where God was silent. He was absent. That had to be incredibly difficult and dark. I mean, kind of awkward, isn't it? You know, I'm just a guy preaching. And those moments, those brief moments were uncomfortable. Bettendorf's like, ah, simulcast break. What happened? Right? Yeah, you're with me. Listen, I, I know that that was just uncomfortable, but can you imagine 400 years of God being silent? Generation after generation after generation with nothing to behold? Oh my goodness. I can't even begin to imagine. But what Jesus did when he came He's, he broke that silence in a baby's cry. Light entered darkness. And you've got to understand something about darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. It's not the presence of something else. It's the absence of light. And in this case, the light was Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You, you may not realize this, but, but Jesus existed before the first Christmas. Jesus existed before that first Christmas. He existed before Bethlehem, before the manger. The great miracle in the nativity is not simply him being here. Heaven coming to earth, God becoming man and flesh, that's part of it. But he had a life before he came and a life after he came. Now, I know there's great complexity in talking about that reality and the Trinity and how that all works, but hang with me. The point I'm trying to make today for you to understand is that he was not created here. He came here. God became flesh. He emptied himself. He became a servant, the form of a servant, being in the appearance of human likeness. Jesus existed before the first Christmas. And, and the disciple John wrote about it very clear, clearly at the beginning of his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1. He said, in the beginning was the word. And that literally is Jesus. You could replace word with Jesus in this passage and have great clarity. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. He was with God and was God. With and was. At the very beginning, Jesus was. At creation, Jesus was. Nothing was made without him. That's the concept of the Trinity, God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And there's great dynamics and layers around that. But understand, Jesus existed before that first Christmas. Christmas was the moment that light entered darkness. And when Jesus came, the spiritual darkness of humanity began to flicker with light. 
began to flicker with light. Because as Martin Luther King Jr. aptly once stated, he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And Jesus came as light and love. He came as light and love. Darkness does not overcome the light. The smallest light can push back the darkest night. And so as John continued into verse 9, he says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus. He's that light. He existed before the first Christmas. He existed before everything. He was not given life in the manger. He was given mortality. He was given humanity. It's very different. And birth and death is not something that happened to him. It's the very reason he came. It's the reason he came. He came to die. Born in a manger, died on a cross, emptied a tomb so that you and I can have light and life. Look, God does not forgive us just because he loves us. God sent Jesus because he loves us. He doesn't forgive us because he loves. He forgives us because Jesus came and died and rose again. And whenever we know him as Lord and Savior, we are forgiven. And if you know him as Lord and Savior and have found that forgiveness, you know this to be true in your life. But you also understand then the reality that we have to choose to receive We have to choose to receive what Jesus offers. We have to choose to receive him as Lord, to receive what he offers through his life and death and resurrection. This is all great stuff that we talk about and remember every Christmas, but we have to choose to receive. We we have to be an active participant to behold. Just like when we receive a Christmas gift from somebody, we have to choose to receive it. If If we don't open it, we technically don't receive it, and it's actually quite silly. And in the same way, We have to choose to receive and open the gift that Jesus offers through his life and his death and resurrection. We have to choose to receive what he offers to have it. Look at what John continued to say in verses 11 and on. He said, I came, he came, that would be Jesus, to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. We have to choose to to receive. We have to be a participant to behold. Active participant. We have to actively receive what Jesus offers to actually have it. To be children of God. With all the rights associated with it. With forgiveness. With the promise of heaven. With hope and joy and peace and healing. We have to receive him. We have to behold, not just look and see. And that gets us to the two things for our so what reality. The first is this concept of receiving, and you may be thinking, Sean, great, receive what? Well, we call it salvation because it is a spiritual saving. It's saving and rescuing us spiritually. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been, how far you've run from God as how long you've rebelled. There's one thing that you can do 
with three steps that positions you to receive what he has to offer. One thing with three steps. On the back of your note guide, those three steps are listed. First is to admit that you, like everyone else, are in need of rescue. Second is to ask God to forgive your sins. Third, say yes to God by trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's how we choose to receive. And there's an example prayer that you can pray right now if you've never taken that step where you've actually engaged in a relationship with God through Jesus because you've beheld him, you've embraced him, and he's embraced you in return. This is your step to do it. And I encourage you to do it before you leave because your life will be radically different. Light enters darkness when you make this decision. That's first and so what? Second is a question. It's simply what do you need to behold and not simply see? What do you need to behold and not simply see this Christmas? What do you need to give greater attention to, to contemplate, to participate in? Is it his glory? Is it his purpose, his essence, his desire? Maybe you need to recognize the beauty in a relationship that you've stopped beholding with your spouse or your parent or even a child. What do you need to behold and not simply see? Every year, we see the manger, the nativity. We see the powerful words of familiar songs. We see the name of Jesus every Christmas. But what we really need to do is to behold him, become an active participant, to surrender, to proclaim, to serve, to be faithful, to demonstrate our love and gratitude and appreciation, to behold. And as we continue to journey towards Christmas in this Advent season, we're going to continue to unpack what it means to behold and why we can and how we do it through the rest of the series. But I want to ask you today, again, what do you need to behold and not simply see? What squirrel do you need to quit chasing so you can chase Jesus? So you can behold him? Your squirrel may be an unhealthy relationship you know you should not be in. Stop chasing it and chase him. Maybe it's an unhealthy habit, public or private. Stop chasing it and chase him. It may be a, a goal, personal goal, a, a recognition, some kind of desire, some kind of accomplishment. What's your squirrel that you need to stop chasing so you can chase and behold him who was and is and is to come? Do it. For those who follow Jesus, to behold is a lifestyle it's when we look to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to see and observe and understand his will and his ways. Christmas is not passive recollection of something historical. It's not something long past completed. It is the active engagement with a divine transformation. A transaction between the finite and the infinite. Between the mortal and the immortal. It's a divine miracle wrought out in an unending love. Behold. You know, darkness is part of this life. It comes. And when it, when it comes in the middle of that darkness, our future can look grim to us. In those spaces, we can be tempted to quit. As that presses in, the darkness presses in and it's heavy upon us. Don't quit. Even if you don't see any way out or to overcome it, Listen, God is the God of the impossible. 
And he has, he has ways to overcome that darkness, that problem, that situation in your life that you can't even begin to comprehend. But all of them are in Jesus. All of them are in Jesus. Behold him. Pray. Wait. Hope. Behold. You know, he looks at us with a greater love than a groom looks at his bride. And he sees greatness and beauty in us that we can't even begin to understand and comprehend. And he loves. He loves. Our sin is and was great. But his love was greater. His love is greater than our weakness, greater than our resistance, greater than our apathy, greater than our selfishness, greater than our despair. And once we behold him, we don't need anyone else to describe who he is anymore. Because when we, have, when we have beheld him for ourselves, we know that he is the Christ, the Savior, the King. And that's when we crown him Lord and King in our lives. Because beholding him, him who was and is and is to come, positions us with the responsibility to chase, to honor, and to obey him whom we have beheld. So behold. Behold. It's as God declared through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations, light into darkness, hope into despair, life into death. Behold, a light shines in the darkness, a new day, a new light has dawned. A people living in darkness have seen a great light. A great light. Behold. What do you need to behold and not just see? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the midst of a season with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, I thank you that you have brought light into darkness. I thank you for sending your son Jesus, demonstrating your love by sending him. And through his life and death and resurrection, you made a pathway for us to be restored to you. Thank you for that, Father. I pray that you would increase our attention and our affection for you this season, Lord. I pray that you would limit distractions. I pray you would help us to know what the squirrels are that we tend to chase and we would set them aside and chase you. I pray, Father, that we would be drawn to you more than anything else. I pray that every one of my brothers and sisters here would have a sense of your love and your care and your provision, the hope through Jesus this Christmas like never before. And for those who have not yet made the decision to behold you through Jesus, through relationship with him, I pray that they would do that even now, that they would know your great love, that they would see what you see in them and they would behold you in a new way today and step from death to life, from darkness to light. Then, Father, may we all chase you. May we behold your glory. May we fix our eyes on Jesus and not let the things of this world, this season, distract us from the deeper meaning of this time, from the, from the realities of life in you. God, 
I love that you love in a way that we can find you. So may we be a people this Christmas who not only look and see, but behold, who embrace you as you embrace us, who give you our attention, and you in turn give us significance through your holiness and your purpose and glory. I love you, Lord. I pray these things in the name of your son, the son who was born in a manger, died on a cross and emptied a tomb. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.